Welcome to the HSE podcast with me, Mick Ord. I hope you're well and looking forward to a happy and prosperous year. In the past few episodes, we've been hearing from some of HSEs and DEFRA's own EU regulatory experts about many of the changes that businesses face now that the UK has left the European Union and how they should prepare for it. But for this episode and the next one, it'll be a bit different because we'll be hearing from the businesses themselves about what the past year has been like for them as they try to plan for life outside of the EU. The views of people whose businesses are being affected on the ground provide much food for thought, and I'm confident that some of the things that they've observed will be ringing true for many listeners to this podcast. What they say will also hopefully help to steer you in the right direction as you maybe tackle some of the hurdles that they've been negotiating. In today's podcast, we'll be hearing from John McKenzie, the Regulatory Affairs Manager of the long-established chemicals manufacturer, Thomas Swan. They're a family-owned and run business with a UK base in Consett in County Durham, directly employing around 170 people with other bases in the USA and China. Also joining us is James Clovis, MD of the London-based Gemini Agriculture, a company which specialises in the supply of agrochemicals to the UK market. James founded the company five years ago. In this episode, I've been talking to John and James mainly about how they've been preparing for the changes in the regulations pertaining to PPP, that's plant protection products, and BPR, biocides products regulations. First of all, I asked John, what it was like for his company navigating the transition period last year. Well, in the beginning, it was pretty difficult, really, because there was so little information. I have to say that one of the immediate impacts of the vote to leave the EU was actually positive for us because the exchange rates changed and uh, we were able to export more because we became more competitive in some markets. And so it actually was a help in the beginning. But the regulatory burden is going to be massive because of having to deal with two regulatory authorities, ECHA in in Europe and HSE in the UK. But navigating it, we just had to find whatever information was out there. Initially, there wasn't much, but we have kept close touch with the Chemical Industries Association, the CIA, and they have been brilliant at keeping us up to date. We've had regular meetings with them, and they've organised meetings with government departments, BASE, DEFRA, HSE, and so on. That's been our main way of navigating it and finding our way through up until more recently when more information has come out from government departments. The impact is mainly going to be dealing with two regulatory authorities, like I said. The regulatory burden is going to be increased in a department where there are only two of us working on regulatory issues. This going to mean quite a lot of more work for us, and therefore more cost. I think John's nailed it there on the regulatory side. We're quite lucky in Gemini because we primarily sell only in the UK. But I think from an import-export point of view, I think that's where it's going to impact us the most. I mean, a lot of the technical material comes from India and China, and we told manufacture within Europe or within the UK. And I think it's going to you know, have fundamental impacts on, on how we bring products in, you know, what processes, what systems we have to work with, and also the parallels going and the extension the extension of the active materials for three years is going to be very beneficial in one way. 
that it kind of gives the UK a bit of longevity in certain products. But it, it's also going to have a delay because EFSA was dealing with a lot of the Annex 1, Annex 2 renewals. And I think what's going to happen now is we'll see delays. And I think even for generics as well as the multinationals, we're kind of locked out of those chemicals, whether we can access them from a competitive point of view or just from a multinational trying to modify any of their registrations. They're going to be locked out for an extended period of time. And how can you prepare for something like that? Well, it's interesting. I think from an import-export perspective, uh, I think a lot of people have brought product into the UK, whether it's technical material or finished goods. I think we've definitely seen an increase in product being brought in and stored. I think we've seen an increase in utilisation of of certain toll manufacturers. There's an awful lot of those being blocked up very early on now. So I think, yeah, I think primarily there's a lot been brought into the country and is sat in warehouses. And I I think, you know, there are other preparations being made, but it's it's trying to be as informed as you possibly can. And myself and Gemini, we've spent a lot of time working with forwarders and the importers, trying to make sure that any documentation or approvals that they need have been submitted well in advance. For Northern Ireland, we've applied for an EORI number extension, so the X number, I believe it is now. So we're trying to do everything we can. But again, we don't know all the answers yet. So it's trying to prepare as best we can when something pops up, you've got to jump on it as quick as you can. And John, what actions have you taken or at least started to take to ensure your products are biocide compliant? Well, the main thing that we've done is, well, a couple of things really, but one of the big things is that we've recently transferred, there's a thing called the Article 95 list, which is a list of active biocides that are allowed to be used in the EU. And so because we're out of the EU now, we had to transfer our registration on that list over onto a representative in the EU. Of course, being a small company, we had to use a consultant to do that. And of course, they don't come cheap. So they're going to now be our representative in the EU working on our behalf. And so we're now listed uh, still on Article 95 list, but with a representative in place rather than having a direct registration ourselves. The other thing that we've done, though, is as a company, we decided as a mitigation against the potential border friction that will no doubt occur, we decided that we would apply for a thing called AEO, which is Authorised Economic Operator, something that is very much more common in Germany and some of the European countries, but not so common here. I think the last count I saw were about 700 companies registered in the UK, whereas there are about 10,000 or so in, in Germany. Anyway, we did that. It was a lot of work, but it means that now that we're registered on that scheme, that should help with our paperwork. It should reduce cross-border friction between UK and EU, but also within the EU itself. So it means that you know the red tape is cut out, well, to a large extent, and means we can deal more directly with our customers in the EU. And James, what about you on that score? What well, actions have uh, been starting to take? What we've basically done is, um, I mean, all our registrations are UK Article 34 registrations. We have a couple of parallel imports as well. So as it stands, most of ours will be compliant to the new system and we won't need to do anything. I think REACH is a slightly different kettle of fish. And I think moving forward, it's going to take, well, it depends how you approach it. I think there's going to be quite a lot of work for certain companies to make sure that all of the intermediates or components are registered in time. And we've, we've started working with, as I said, the, the supplier of the intermediates, but also the toll manufacturers as well, to 
to make sure that everything is kind of reach compliant when we know exactly what we need to do going forward for that. We'll be touching on reach in the next episode. James, what about PPP compliancy? As I alluded to earlier, basically all of our products are already registered with CRD, HSE, and we expect that there won't be much change going forward to the existing registrations. Going forward for new registrations, though, that's going to be interesting to see if there's much change at all, one, to the documentation or the requirements. But also, I think, as I mentioned earlier, to see what happens with the delays on the Annex 1, Annex 2 renewals. So, I mean, from actions there's not much we can do now. We're basically sat in a holding pattern for certain products, waiting for the protection to come down so we can apply for registrations. But yeah, there's not a whole lot on the action side that we need to prepare for. So it really is the information that you need, isn't it? That's what you're looking for. And then you can take your actions. I mean, so far, where have you been getting your information from? John, you mentioned about the trade body before. I mean, do you visit the HSC web pages, for example? Yeah, I mean, I have done. I have to say that until recently, at least, the HSE web pages weren't terribly helpful, but they've now improved that dramatically. Recently, I was having a look at them, and uh, they've made a, a big change in the information that's available, especially in reach. By size, it's getting there. We've also used a lot of other sources, too. I find that the government websites are pretty good now. There's a lot of information coming up on gov.uk slash transition, but main source for our info has been our trade body, the CIA, at least in initial stages, laterally more like HSE and uh, gov.uk. Well, that's good to know. What about you, James? Very similar to what John's just mentioned. We do use the CRD HSE website for updates. We do also use uh, the government emails and the updates that they're sent through, as John mentioned. And again, we use the Crop Protection Association, and they've disseminated quite a lot of information basically over the last two, three years with most of the changes, as well as being involved in a lot of the work. And John, mm. and in fact you, James, where would you go to find more information? I don't know about John, but I think primarily the internet has been the number one source for most of the information that we've tried mm. to find. But I can't dismiss, I, I, we've got contacts within CRD as well, and without you know, obviously getting anyone in trouble, there's been a lot of information that you can actually request. So just by talking to some of the CRD members, you do get a good feel of the way things are going and they also can kind of relate it back to specifics that you're going through. So I, I think direct contact with CRD, the internet and government emails. And you, John? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got a couple of different sources that we've got subscriptions to that we pay for information from. Organisations like Chemical Watch, Kroner, people like that have provided us with information as well. But I mean, James is absolutely right that the best place is to go to the internet, search on Google and ask a question and see what it comes up with. HRC have been good as well, though. If you've got a specific question for them, they've got a help desk. And I've asked them a few questions over the last couple of years. And they've been really helpful, actually, and pretty prompt in replying. And what actions would you recommend, John, for businesses that don't feel prepared? If you don't feel prepared, I would advise go to the government website. Like I said before, gov.uk slash transition is a great source. They've got questionnaires, well, checklists, that's the word I'm looking for, which will provide you with like a, a series of questions. So you go through, it'll ask you a question. If you say yes or no, it'll give you different answers and, and take you to different places and checklists to make sure that you covered everything. I mean, we've done this two, three times where every time you, you do it again, it comes up with something else. 
And it might not be related to like biocides we're talking about just now. It might be if you're employing European nationals, what's one thing that we found? We've got one or two people from Italy and Spain, um, France working here, and um, they need to consider what they need, you know, the documentation that they need to have in place to continue to work in the UK. There are grace periods. I think that the European nationals are allowed up until sometime in June to submit whatever documentation they need, but they, they still need to do it. James, have you got any uh, handy hints for people listening who, who feel, oh, blimey, I'm not prepared? Well, I think uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is probably the best way <laughs> Don't panic. I think it depends on the size of the company. I mean, I know big companies that have been scenario planning for years on the impact of Brexit. From my side, what I would say is try and find out as much information as you can. And I think make contact with trade associations. As I say, the CPA has done multiple things for our side of the fence, and not only discussing things with government officials and, and the, looking at presentations to the, the expert committee on approval process and things like that. Most trade organizations will be on spot with this. So I would contact those. But I'd also talk to other companies. I mean, you'll have competitors, you'll have partners in the industry and try and find out what they're doing. James, really like your reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide. I've got written down here in big friendly letters, don't panic. The world will not come to an end. The UK will continue to exist. We'll have new circumstances to adapt to. And we will adapt, we will survive, but it'll just look different. That's a good point to end this interview on, John. John McKenzie and James Clovis, thanks a lot for joining us today. That was really, really useful. In a couple of minutes' time, I'll be giving out some really important information, not only about the HSE website, but about the HSE's e-bulletin service, where if you have a particular question you need answering, you just email us and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Many, many thanks to John McKenzie and James Clovis for their time today and for sharing their views on the past few months and their hopes, fears and advice for the future. I hope you found it useful. There were quite a few mentions in the interview of the HSE website, which is being regularly updated with news and information on PPP and BPR, not to mention the other regimes which have been affected by the changes. We've updated our guidance on the chemicals industry This is available on our website, which is linked to the notes to this podcast. Remember, too, to subscribe to our e-bulletin newsletters. You pop your email address into the subscription box, which appears on the pages of the website. And if you want to contact our help desk with a question about the new regulations for the chemicals industry, then email them. The email address is eu-exitchemicals at hse.gov.uk. EU-exitchemicals at hse.gov.uk and we'll respond as soon as possible. Again, this email is in the notes which accompany the podcast. We won't actually be saying goodbye to John McKenzie as he'll be joining us in our next podcast where he'll be discussing, along with another business guest, the changes to CLP, REACH and PIC regulations. The guest in question is Chris Howick from Innovin, who, according to their website, manufacture a wide range of chemicals that are used as raw materials in almost every industrial process. They specialise in chlorvinyls and have sites in the UK and throughout Europe. So join me, Mick Ord, for what will hopefully be an enlightening and useful discussion with our two industry voices. Take care 
and we'll hopefully catch up with you very soon. Mm-hmm.